0: how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 350. It's titled, Should You Invest in Startups on Equity Crowdfunding Platforms? I recently got an email from a new member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. He wrote, Recently, I was made aware of another investment option that intrigued me. This is getting a piece of investments into startup businesses via investment platforms like AngelList, SeedInvest, WeFunder, and Republic. I know this is a very risky investment arm, but I believe it is as risky relative to cryptocurrency. What do you think about allocating 5 to 10% of your portfolio into multiple startups, let's say 10 via AngelList, for example, as an alternative to cryptocurrency? Historically, investing in startups was limited to institutional investors and very high-net-worth individuals. They mostly did it via venture capital funds, but in May 2016, the Title III of the Jobs Act outlined a way that private companies could raise up to $5 million from all U.S. investors. And with that change in law, that has led to a number of new platforms that individuals can invest in startup businesses, just like big institutional investors. Some of these platforms require investors to be accredited, which means they have annual income of over $200,000 or have a net worth, not including the primary residence, of a million dollars or more. Now, however, some of these platforms don't require individuals to be accredited, and we'll look at some of the criteria for that in a few minutes. Venture capital has been a successful strategy. Since the late 1970s, 43% of initial public offerings in the U.S. were backed by venture capital funds. So they started out as early investors and then through subsequent rounds. And eventually, the company went public and the stock became available to all investors via a stock exchange. Typically, the company was private for about eight years. Now, those periods extend longer than that. This was a topic we discussed back in episode 253, are IPOs, the new Ponzi scheme, as startup companies stayed private for well over a decade or more. And then when they went public, oftentimes they still hadn't figured out a profitable business model. In the past year or so, numerous private companies have gone public via combinations with special purpose acquisition companies, or SPACs. Just this year, there have been 70 new business combinations announced by SPACs, more than the 60 or so from last year. And there have been an additional 152 business combinations announced that haven't closed yet. As individuals, should we invest in startups via some of these new platforms? And is it as risky as cryptocurrency? Last week, I mentioned the risk framework introduced by Ashvin Chabra, where he divided risk into personal risk, and we protect against that personal risk by having assets that will allow us to maintain our standard of living, cash, our home, annuities, insurance. Then there was market risk, assets that we own to maintain our lifestyle to keep pace with inflation, such as stocks and bonds. The third bucket is aspirational risk, assets which, if they are successful, will allow us to reach a different lifestyle, to upgrade our lifestyle, become wealthy. Cryptocurrency fits into that, but so does startup investing, venture capital investing. I've been involved in startups and venture capital for over 20 years. As an advisor, I assisted clients in allocating assets to venture capital funds. I co-headed our firm's direct alternative research team, in which we researched venture capital funds and eventually put together private capital funds of funds, where we chose the underlying venture capital funds and combined them with other funds. And I have been an investor in all five of those funds. Performance of venture capital if you pick the right fund and the right investment, it has been very good. The average net internal rate of return is about 10% according to Cambridge Investments, an institutional consulting firm. A net internal rate of return would be the return net of all fees, and it's a dollar-weighted return. So it takes into account when the capital was called from the client and when that capital was returned. Top quartile venture capital firms had IRRs or internal rate of returns of over 20%. Yet 20 to 25% of venture funds have lost money. That's at the fund level. There's a very wide dispersion. Within the fund, on average, seven out of 10 portfolio companies will not even return the money that was invested in them. They go broke and those investments have to be written off, which means only two or three are successful and have to make up for all the losses of those that were written off. A study from several years ago by Correlation Ventures looked at how skewed startup investing was. Only 0.4% returned 50 times their money. About 1% returned 20 to 50 times. They show 65% returned 0 to 1 times and about 25% return one to five times. So most don't earn very much money, and it, you really require those huge successes to carry the day. This is very much a power law distribution where a few of the investments earn the bulk of the returns. That particular study was based on 22,000 different companies. One of the funds that I looked at on these newer platforms was the AngelList Access Fund. And in their documents, they say that investors should expect that only 5% or less of the companies in the fund will produce significant risk-adjusted returns. So a few successful investments will compensate for the losses of the great majority of the investments, which means... The key is to have a lot of different investments, not 10. It's going to have to be way more than 10. If I look at my investments in the FEG private opportunity funds that I'm invested in, just the first fund, for example, it's allocated to seven different venture capital funds. There are over 150 venture-backed companies. Now, the fund has done well, but FEG has three to four people dedicated to trying to find the best venture capital managers out there. So the returns are very skewed, both at the fund level, but also at the company level, which makes it challenging for us if we want to make venture capital or startup investing using these platforms. There was a team of academics that surveyed 889 institutional venture capitalists at 681 firms. It's astounding that there are 681 venture capital firms, but there were over 11,000 companies that received venture capital funding last year. That's a lot of companies. That's a lot of venture capitalists. And then we as individual investors are supposed to come up with which startups would we invest in? Well, the criteria that venture capitalists use to make decisions fall into a number of categories. One is investment selection. Which company. They're looking at the attractiveness of the market, the company's strategy, the technology, the product or service, the customer adoption. What's the competition like about the deal terms and the quality and experience of the management team? As individuals, if we look at some of the examples on these platforms, it's hard to get a sense of many of those things. One of the platforms had a business for a fully autonomous transport robot for agriculture and the farming industry. Another was a platform to make modern financial planning and wealth management tools accessible to everyone. The second one seems more doable, yet this was a company that hadn't earned any revenue yet. You don't know what the tools are going to be. Probably don't really get a good sense of the management team because a lot of these things are just ideas. These are seed investments. They're brand new. But that's the criteria to look at. And then we need to look at the valuation and the deal structure. One of the challenging things for venture capital investors is, like many asset classes, the amount being paid for these companies is getting more and more expensive, particularly for those companies that are in their later rounds of financing. They're getting additional capital. So they actually show some revenue. They show some promise. The amount that's paid for what's known as the Series C round, so not the last round before the initial public offering, last year, in 2020, was four times the amount paid back in 2014. The amount paid for Series D financing rounds in 2020 was three times what was paid in 2014. Just in the first quarter of 2021, there have been over 160 financing rounds of over $100 million for each deal. The way that venture capital works compared to public markets is there's not just one single class of common stock. Venture capital backed companies create a new class of equity about every 12 to 24 months, all with different terms. The average Large venture capital backed company has 8 different share classes. The founders have shares, employees might have a different share, venture capital funds have different shares, mutual funds, so it's very customized. And with different terms, most offer upside potential of if the company does well, if it goes public, but the different share classes will have different levels of downside protection. It could have a guarantee to get some amount of capital back. If things don't work out as well and in the the subsequent series of rounds, the later rounds, the terms get more favorable for the investors that put money in those rounds. So as a investor in the startup, we'll certainly get diluted, but we also might not get as good of returns as those that invest later on in the cycle. I saw one study that I'll link to in the show notes where they looked at all the different rounds of funding for these larger venture capital-backed companies. And they pointed out how confusing it can be to figure out, well, what's the actual valuation because of all the different share classes and different terms? But they determined that most of those companies, if you value the entire company based on the terms and price of that final round shows that their valuation before they go public is about 50% greater than its fair value. So all the different terms and share classes is pushing up the value above the fair value. And it makes it hard as an individual investor to figure out, well, am I overpaying for this? And then on these platforms, there's also unique securities. For example, Republic has something called a CrowdSafe which is a financial instrument where you don't actually have equity in the company. You have a security that potentially you'll get equity if certain things happens, like the company goes public or it gets bought out. And this is to facilitate allowing thousands of investors to participate in this. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. If you're running a new or existing business, I can't think of a better partner than Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch of your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the do-we-just-hit-a-million-order stage. Shopify is there to help you grow, whether you're selling shipping supplies or clothing. They can help you sell everywhere with their all-in-one e-commerce platform, as well as their in-person POS system. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. When I order from an online shop and see that they're using Shopify, that gives me a great deal of confidence my order will be correct and arrive in a timely manner. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., including Allbirds and Brooklinen and entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash david, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash david now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash david. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns, That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts, high-yield cash accounts where your money can earn 11 times the national average, and automated investing technology like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed. Cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. In looking at the specific platforms, and I spent some time on Our Crowd, Equity Zen, EquityZen, AngelList, Republic, SeedInvest. They're all different. And it's hard to say because these are startup investing, which is the best. They all have different deals and different deal structures. Some you have to be accredited. Other deals you don't have to be. Many of the deals use what's known as Reg CF. For those type of deals, if you're accredited, there's no investment limits. But if you're non-accredited, you can invest up to $2,200 or 5% of the greater of your annual income or net worth if it's less than $107,000. If your income or net worth is equal to or greater than $107,000, then you can invest up to 10% of your annual income each year. If someone has a $100,000 net worth and their income is less than $100,000, they could invest 5% or $5,000 in these startups on the platform. Now, if the minimums is $100 for each company or $200, that works. But if they're $1,000, then you're not going to get hundreds of different startups. And the idea is to build out a portfolio Of many, many startups because it's so difficult to figure out which ones will be successful and most will fail. I asked a venture capital acquaintance of mine, Paul Kodrowski. I've known him through Twitter for years. We occasionally have lunch, although it's been a number of years now. His firm is SK Ventures. They've been in business for just about 10 years. And prior to that, he was a tech analyst, has done many different things. He has a PhD. He knows venture capital very, very well. And I asked him, have you invested or participated in any way on these platforms, either investing in a company or raising capital on them? He said they've looked at many deals on the platform, but have never done one. That there have been some success stories, but they are vastly outnumbered by the failures. And the challenge he points out is there's little to learn to see if the success can be replicable. In other words, it's it's almost random to figure out which one's going to be successful on these platforms. He writes: they are mostly ways for people to entertain themselves, like sports betting, and for others to do a few investments in preparation for raising an actual fund. Which is interesting with Angel List. Their structure was a little different. As I signed up for some of the different platforms, they asked many more questions in terms of qualifications. And then once you get approved and show that you're an accredited investor, then you can't just invest in a startup directly. You actually have to be invited by one of their syndicates. So there's different firms and individuals listed as syndicates that are lead investors or sponsor different investments. You have to apply to become a part of it. But you could see how that particular structure would be a good way for someone interested in venture capital, thinking about starting a fund to start participating as a syndicate sponsor and then get others to invest with them as you go about finding which startup company to invest. Most of the platforms are screening out companies. Seed Invest, for example, says less than 3% of the companies that apply to raise money in the platform are accepted. Republic says it's less than 5%. And that's important. You want at least some level of screening. Now, the other level is to invest in a fund. So our crowd has a fund structure where their team of professionals is reviewing 150 to 200 startups per month, meeting with 20 to 30 management teams they're putting some of their own capital in and you can invest with them in that fund. And because it's a fund, it has a similar fund structure where the fees between one and a half to two and a half percent per year, and then you pay out 20% of the profits to the management team. So having a fund structure is one way to do that. But most of those funds, you have to be accredited investors because they want to have high enough minimum. So our crowd, for example, the minimum investment is fifty thousand dollars for their funds. With something like Republic or Seed Invest, you can invest in individual smaller companies. Seed Invest is charging a two percent fee for each investment up to three hundred dollars. Republic doesn't charge any fee. They're charging fees to companies that want to raise money on the platform. At the end of the day, it's a little confusing because there's so many different platforms, and I have a hard time judging if. Any one platform is better than another. We want the platform to at least be screening, but more than anything, we want to be able to invest in as many startups as possible because this is a numbers game. Abe Othman, he's head of data science at AngelList, published a paper where he found indexing venture capital made the most sense, especially for these seed stage companies, these early stage companies. He describes indexing as putting money into every credible deal. Instead of trying to figure out which one will be successful, invest in as many as possible. And the reason why that works, and, and they found in their 10-year investment window for their study that this indexing approach, putting money in every credible deal, beat 90 to 95% of the investors on their platform that were trying to pick deals. What Othman found out is in investing, let's say public market investing, if you just add more stocks to your portfolio, it doesn't increase the expected return. But in an environment where there's such a skewed distribution and a very small percentage return 10 to 50 times the amount of capital invested, by putting money in more deals, you're more likely to pick one of those huge winners. And so it needs to be not 10 companies, ideally hundreds of companies. I mentioned the one fund I am invested in has 150 startups, but I'm in five different funds. So in that case, it is hundreds of companies. And that's really what it takes to be successful, especially at our individual level in startup investing, as many deals as possible. But again, that takes time. Now, one of the good things is some of the platforms, such as SeedInvest, has an automated investment platform where you can put $200 in each deal and they'll just they'll spread them out among all their different deals. That intuitively makes more sense to me, especially given most of these companies have no revenue. There's still ideas in the making, trying to flesh them out. There's so much uncertainty in terms of how it will work out just from a business standpoint Not to mention, will they be able to raise additional capital going forward? What will the exit strategy be? Will they get bought out? Will they go public? I think venture capital or startup investing is potentially riskier than cryptocurrency if we're focusing on the big cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin and Ethereum, because they have already been around for a number of years. Yes, you could lose all your money in those, and that is a possibility, But I would suggest you're less likely to lose all your money in Bitcoin than you would picking some random startup company. Now, if your approach to cryptocurrency is to purchase every token or coin that comes out, then that's probably similar to venture capital. Some may work out, some may not. But the approach is similar in that you own a number of different coins. And that's that's the approach that I have taken with cryptocurrency. Most of my speculation is in Bitcoin, Ethereum, but then I have these smaller coins that I assume most will not work out, but it's not a 100, a dozen or less. So in some ways, I should probably go buy more cryptocurrency. Bottom line is, venture capital, startup investing is aspirational risk. Only invest money that you're willing to lose the platforms do a very good job warning investors that this is risky. You will probably lose your money because most do. And it's important to recognize that. And that's where it becomes in some ways like entertainment. But I would not let it be the workhorse of my investment portfolio. Focus on diversifying asset classes, which return drivers that have some cash flow. That aren't just starting their business, but you can participate in the growth of the economy over time and diversify and index that way for your market-based investing. And then, yes, you could allocate 5 to 10% of your portfolio to startups, as many as possible, and hopefully a few will work out and can be incredibly successful. That then is episode 350. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you'd like to learn more about investing, there's two ways I can help with that. First, consider joining my weekly email newsletter, The Insider's Guide. It's where I share the links to the research that was used to prepare that week's episode. It's also where I share an essay on money, investing, and economy. The newsletter is something I'm really working on improving to make it more valuable to you. And you can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. The second way that you can become a better investor is by becoming a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. Whether you're just starting to save for retirement, you're nearing retirement, or you're in retirement, Plus Membership has the tools and resources you need to achieve your financial goals and have peace of mind. With Plus Membership, you get access to a proven investment approach and expert portfolio insights delivered in a clear and concise style you can understand. If you'd like to learn more about Money for the Rest of Us Plus, you can do that at moneyfortherestofus.com. We'd love to have you as a member. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. i am not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and in the economy. Have a great week.